0: Toxic, narcissist, gaslighting, these seem to all be terms that have made it into our popular vernacular today. Psychological terms that seem to be thrown around quite a bit, specifically in ways that we might label difficult people in our lives. Toxic, narcissist, they're gaslighting me. I was actually in a conversation with a licensed therapist uh, just a couple weeks ago, and uh, he uses these words in a professional manner, but he has noticed that people that have come in to see him, they've thrown these words around quite liberally, just all the time. And what he finds is that many people, when they use these words, they're just using it to write off people in their lives that they find difficult. And he said there seems to be a kind of a quote and a term he hears quite a bit from people. And it's this kind of way of living. Life is too short to spend time with people that suck happiness out of you. Life is too short to spend time that sucks happiness with people that suck happiness out of you. Well, we're living that in American culture right now. Uh, The statistics show that. Uh, One in four people in America now say they're estranged uh, from a family member, uh, have been removed from them, not talking to them. People have talked often about anger that has um, come out in the workplace um, because of a lot of things that have happened over the past few years. Now, if you have come to church, you might be anticipating the Christian message against this right away, right? Right? Oh, right. The pastor is about to tell me, do better, be better, right? Just get along with people. Just forgive people. Just turn the other cheek. This is why I love the Psalms. They just don't go to that right away. No, the Psalms don't simply say, just get along. In fact, the Psalms and the psalmist admit that people are difficult. In fact, it even uses words that seem more extreme than the words I used earlier. But we also see that the psalmist gives a solution to difficult relationships. Greater than ghosting, greater than avoidance, greater than labeling. Today we're going to find this out to be the case. This is kind of the point I want to kind of convey to you this morning, I think that Psalm is conveying to you, so if you're going to hear anything, hear this. Difficult relationships can make us see there is a larger story going on in our hearts, and in the hearts of others. Difficult relationships can make us see there is a larger story going on in our hearts, and in the hearts of others. Let's look at the Psalms, shall we? It's printed there in your worship guide. Psalm 64. Hear my voice, O God, in my complaint. Preserve my life from dread of the enemy. Hide me from the secret plots of the wicked, from the throng of evildoers who wet their tongues like swords. Who aim bitter words like arrows, shooting from ambush at the blameless, shooting at him suddenly and without fear. They hold fast to their evil purpose. They talk of laying snares secretly, thinking, who can see them? They search out injustice, saying, we have accomplished a diligent search. For the infirm mind and heart of a man are deep. But God shoots his arrow at them. They are wounded suddenly. They are brought to ruin with their own tongues turned against them. All who see them will wag their heads. Then all mankind fears. They tell what God has brought about and ponder what he has done. Let the righteous one rejoice in the Lord and take refuge in him. Let all the upright in heart. Exalt the word of the Lord. For just joining us, we're going through the Psalms this summer. Here at Emmaus Road in the fall, we go through the Old Testament, rotating between genres of the prophets and Old Testament narrative. In the spring, we Go through the New Testament, rotating between the Gospels and the Epistles. And in the summer, it was kind of a catch-all. Usually it's wisdom literature. We've done um, other literature too, apocalyptic literature here in the summer also. So we are in the Psalms this summer. And if you don't know this, uh, the Psalms are a different kind of genre. Like I said, they are poetry. Now, when dealing with enemies and dealing with difficult relationships, the Psalms look at it a little bit differently than other genres of Scripture. The narrative of Scripture would talk about battles or conflicts. It would be very descriptive about how relationships are. The epistles, the letters, they would maybe talk specifically, deductively, about what we're supposed to do with those that we have relationships with. Bearing with them, not letting the sun set on your anger. Those are some of the things that we hear from the epistles about relationships with others, especially difficult people. In the Gospels, you kind of get a mixture between narrative and epistles. You get it descriptively talked about of relationships between Jesus and the Pharisees and others. And also, you get these principles that Jesus lays out, principles of forgiveness, forgiving 70 times 7. But the Psalms do something a little different. It gets into the nitty-gritty of your emotions, What happens when you're in the midst of being wronged, in the midst of being hurt, in a relationship with someone else that is difficult, and all these things are bubbling up inside of you as you're dealing with this individual, or maybe more than just one? Think, enter in someone that has wronged you, and you're thinking about how am I going to deal with this person in my life? You know, many times we just pull out the platitudes, you know, that do not let the sun set on your anger or forgive or turn the other cheek or those kind of things. But the thing is, in the midst of dealing with difficult people and hard relationships, those platitudes, you don't have a solid footing on at times. You grasp and believe them and say, if I just knew enough, I just held on to them, it would be enough. But many times... They're not. That is the beauty of the Psalms. It puts us in the moment. The psalmist is working through it himself in real time, and we get to hear about it. I've said this before, but I'll say it again to try to get into our minds how we look at the Psalms. The Psalms cause us not to just talk about God. The psalms force us to talk to God. Again, the psalms don't get us just to talk about God. They force us to talk to God. That's exactly what's happening in verses 1 through 6 of Psalm 64. Let's look at it, shall we? Here is the psalmist praying crying out to God, hear my voice, O God, in my complaint. Derek Kidner looks at it, seeing the Hebrew of these first verses, he says, this complaint is a troubled thought, as he would say. A psalmist is coming troubled, paralyzed with a problem that's come from an adversary. And he uses these very descriptive metaphors, especially of battles that people might have known of or known or the psalmist knew of personally, to describe the kind of relationship with these evildoers, those that come against him. Battles, swords, arrows. And you see that these are used to describe the kind of relationship that is happening there. And it's not simply healthy conflict. This is gossip and slander. It's fast evil. I love how the psalmist gives us latitude that this situation simply might not be war, but it could be slander by a close confidant. It could be an opposing enemy. It could be a friend that has turned from the psalmist. It gives us latitude to think about what this kind of relationship or this kind of setting is. And the thing is, the psalmist does not hold back. He's saying, this is a serious problem. These things that are being done to me, it is vicious. Look, God, at what they do. Look at the tactics they use. The wickedness. They hold fast to their evil purpose. They talk of laying snares secretly, thinking, who can see them? They search out injustice, saying, we have accomplished a diligent search. To be honest, this kind of language and talking so passionately and vehemently about enemies, this is not Midwest nice, right? Most of us don't talk in this kind of way. Maybe you East Coasters, maybe, I don't know. Maybe if you're a New Yorker, maybe you can talk like this, I don't know. But in Midwest nice, I mean, oh yeah, that person's difficult, whatever, I'll be fine. The truth is, many of us, we might not be saying the things out loud, but many times, the accusations are happening in our hearts. Maybe thoughts come up when you think about someone, and it causes stress in you. You Just think about how this relationship, it burdens you. Maybe... The Midwest nice approach is that you just bring distance in a relationship. I'm just going to talk to this person less or even ghost them. Many times you might think about where you are in life. Your financial situation or being alone. And that bitterness about how someone maybe puts you in the place that you're in. Or saying, the only reason I'm in the place I'm in is because a certain person and what they've done to me. And that bitterness continues to be in you. And a person comes to your mind whenever you're facing hardship, thinking, This is why I'm here, because what this person has done. I want us to think like the psalmist. Have you ever voiced those concerns to God? Rather than just letting those thoughts consume you, rather than just letting distance happen, letting bitterness take control, have you ever actually taken those thoughts, that bitterness, that anger that might be inside of you, and given them to the Lord? Well, maybe some of us are on the other side. Some of us voice concerns about a person without a problem. You might say, this is tame talk compared to how I talk about someone that has wronged me. And people know. My friends know those that have hurt me. My mail carrier knows who's hurt me. My dog knows who's hurt me. Everyone knows. The truth is, maybe you're using the same tactics as the enemy. Talking behind their back. Ambushing them bringing people along to your side so that they are against this person. Again, I say to you, have you ever thought about processing it with the Lord? Here's the thing. I'm a Christian. (laughs) I believe that there is a transcendent God. I believe that God made each one of us That God knows people better than we ever could. He knows our motives. He knows our hearts. God knows the dynamics that are in relationships, the difficulties, the complex nature. He knows even our hearts better than we know ourselves. Prayer is a way to let the transcendent God work and see something outside of what you can see yourself in someone else and in yourself. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God knows you better than you know yourself? That actually God knows the complexity of how a boss treats you? How maybe an ex-husband or an ex-wife has treated you? The motives of a child that maybe you have this relationship that has been estranged. That God knows that dynamic better than ever you could. That actually entering into relationship with him, crying out to him, he might be actually able to reveal something in you. And he actually might be able to work in untangling that wicked web that has happened in a relationship. You know, many times what happens is when we talk through these things with the Lord, we start to realize maybe I'm at fault too. And when you maybe see your own issues it maybe starts not dwelling on the other person and maybe the bitterness kind of goes away and you're in a relationship that you can say, okay, I can be with this person, I can forgive them. There's dynamics here I did not realize. We call that charity. And many times we don't really realize it, but the way our society works and we're able to function with each other is charity. Seeing the best in someone else. Looking past. Maybe a slight that they said or a word they said is something that they did. Charity is what makes us (laughs) be able to function in society. Charity can help in many relationships. But don't mistake charity for avoidance. Don't just think, oh, I'm being charitable because now I'm avoiding this person or even avoiding a hard conversation with this person. If there still needs to be, is there still bitterness or still frustration or you're still talking about someone else to, to someone about them, you're probably not being charitable. That's where it may be the next step to saying, God, I have been hurt. And I need to seek reconciliation. And hopefully, if there is true reconciliation they will not be engaging in these same tactics that the enemy has done upon the psalmist. That you actually have a conversation. That you actually work through it with someone else. That you maybe get a mediator to work through it with you. But if it does not happen, if the reconciliation does not happen, that you'd be able to cry out to God for justice to be shown forth. Even in a very hard situation. God, work look at verse 6b here before it's just this kind of transition verse until we get to what god's action is 6b says for the inward mind and heart of a man are deep you know when you see the psalmist and realize psalms you could maybe think well psalmists sound very self-righteous right i am right they are wrong And they are wronged and they don't sound very charitable to the other person or very amiable to someone else. They're just basically saying, I'm okay and they're not. But I think there's a difference between being right and being righteous. For your school teachers out there, maybe you have kids that you've maybe labeled in your class... Or maybe you have kids in school that you've labeled in the class, right? These are the good kids, the troublemaker. These are the good kids, and there's the troublemakers, right? The kids that do good things and the ones that do bad things. But what happens when a good kid does something wrong against the troublemaker? Does that make the troublemaker's issue against that kid less right? Right? Does not the troublemaker get to plead his case too? Could a good kid not be righteous? 6B kind of hits that. For the inner mind and heart of a man are deep. When it says deep, it's doing it in a negative context. It's saying the human person is disordered. Saying that all of mankind has problems. Even a good kid has problems. You know, we confess our sins every week, and one thing I love about confession and the depth of confession is that we e- need to e- even confess for our righteousness, that even our righteousness is tainted. That we might do things with impure motives. That is the depth of our sin. Think about this. This is like, it labels the psalm of David, right? And we can maybe picture how David wrote this psalm running from Saul. Here was an ally and friend that then turned on him He's battling with him. He had married his daughter. He's friends with his son. And now he's trying to kill him, capture him, spread rumors about him. All these things. There's the good King David. And then there is Saul. That this needs to be written about. I have a question for you. Do you think anyone could have sung this psalm about David? Did David ambush a man, steal his wife, impregnate his wife, ask him to come back home and try to impregnate him so does it look like it was David that did it, deceive him, and then send him back to battle to the front lines to be killed? They hold fast to their evil purpose. They talk of laying snares secretly, thinking, who can see them? They search out injustice saying, we have accomplished a diligent search. Even this psalm that David wrote can be wrote about him. See, the heart is wicked. And we don't even realize that we can flip it. We accuse others. But many times we can't see our own problems. We think, I'm the good one. There seems to be this subtle reversal call it oversensitivity, so call it the victim mentality. That person wronged me, that person hurt me. But in our heart, really what's been damaged is our pride. We are envious. We have selfish desires that are not being met. And that person has got in our way. And many times in our victim mentality, in our oversensitivity, we are not allowed to be corrected. That we too are these people. That the inward mind and heart of a man are deep. Instead, we just be, become a bag of self-pity In pride. That no one can talk to us. No one can correct us. No one can show that we too. Have these issues. In our own life. Well then we see. This transition. Verses 7 through 10. The psalmist. Has pleaded his case. But then God. Responds. God shoots his arrow at them. They are wounded suddenly. You notice the arrows, God's arrows versus the enemy. When God shoots, it happens immediately. I love what Spurgeon says about this. He said, they shoot and shall be shot. A greater archer than they shall take sure aim at their hearts. One of his arrows shall be enough, for he never misses his aim. It goes on, they are brought to ruin with their own tongue turned against them. Again, we're going back to the story of David. Nathan, who confronts David and gives him an allegory about the sheep that was cared for then taken by a rich man. And Nathan turns David's language upon himself when David says, this man should be killed. And Nathan says, you are that man. Again, their tongues turn against them. They are brought to ruin. You know, it doesn't matter who you are. You might think, oh, there is no God. There is nothing above me. But no matter who you are, you live by a standard. And you call other people to that standard. Be nice. Be nice. Be on time. You know, don't belittle other people. Those might be your standards that you live by. What happens when you don't even live by those standards yourself? The arrow is shot and it pierces your own heart. That's what God does. He finds people out. He finds them out in his time. His arrows are not cast to the ground, but they reach their target. And sometimes they are your own heart, in the own way that you have hurt others. So, how can we be made righteous? Verse 10 Let the righteous one rejoice in the Lord and take refuge in him. Let all the upright in heart exult. As you know in Scripture, no one is righteous except one. One that faced all of these words in verses 1 through 6 of deceiving against him, of taking on arrows. Of scheming against him. There was only one good king. And he took that all on himself. He took the arrows that we deserve. He is our righteousness. And that when we see him as our righteousness. And when we cling to him. Then we are able to see that we too might suffer in this world. That we might face arrows from enemies, from even family members, from bosses, from those who are around us. We too will face arrows, but he has taken the ultimate debt. And we can cast those arrows upon him, knowing that he has conquered it. He has gone from death to life. That we can trust in him, even when the arrows come our way. A lot of these principles are not my own. They come from a really good book by Ken Sandy called The Peacemaker. If, you want a, if you're in a really tough situation, it's hard to navigate a difficult relationship with someone, I encourage you, that book is gold. Ken Sandy has worked for decades trying to work through hard relationships with people, and uh, I encourage you to pick up that book, The Peacemaker by Ken Sandy. But Ken Sandy tells a story early on in his ministry. He was working with a gentleman who had just become a Christian. And he had been in the workplace, and his boss, knowing that this gentleman had had some back problems, assigned him a job that would put stress on his back. It put so much stress on his back that he had to leave work for several months. He lost some of his benefits, he missed some wages. And in response, he filed a lawsuit against the company and his boss. And then, uh, kind of the arbiters um, said, you can receive this $5,000. But his lawyer said he should hold out and try to get more money. His friends said, keep in holding out. You can take them for more money. But he had been working with Ken Sandy and had, some more understanding of what the gospel meant. And he decided he was going to drop it. Drop the lawsuit altogether. Not take the $5,000, not ask for more money. Because he wanted to demonstrate the mercy he had received from Christ. And he also was starting to realize that he had a part in this broken relationship between him and his boss. He went to his boss and he admitted he had been disrespectful. He had been rude and he asked for forgiveness. And he asked that they could start over in their relationship together. And his boss said, why are you doing this? And the man said, because I became a Christian and God is helping me face a lot of my faults. God has shown me that love and forgiveness are free. And I cannot earn it. And I don't deserve it. Since he has done that for me, I decided I wanted to act the same towards you. The boss really didn't get it. <laughs> thought he was being manipulative. And But he still said, okay, I'm going to try to work well with my boss. A lot of these crying out of the Psalms happened. The boss ended up being transferred from the place and he got a new uh, boss and it worked out well. God worked in his way. Showed redemption even in a hard situation. One of the union representatives when he heard that this gentleman had done it because of his relationship with Christ, said this, well, that's the first time I've ever seen a Christian's faith cost him anything. The man said, it really was the best $5,000 I ever spent. God used those events to bring several people to Christ, He also helped me overcome some major sins in my own life. I only wish I had settled it more quickly. What I find very fascinating about this psalm, in verse 6, it uses the word heart, for the inward mind and heart of a man are deep in a negative way. And then we get verse 10. Let all the upright in heart exult. What happened between verse 6 and verse 10? What happened in this man's life to forgive his boss? What could happen in us to bear with, to love, to work through, hard relationships to know that a Savior took the arrows. He took our sin. He took the same things that we did towards Him. Even though we have been found out He loves us. He cares for us. He forgives us. And he also has conquered the worst enemies, and he has shown that he is victorious. When we cast our eyes on the one that is victorious through all the sins and pains of this world, it allows us to rejoice, it allows us to have the right heart, even with the hardest enemies. Even with the hardest relationships that we can bear with it.